Now let's turn our Bibles to, we're back in Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 24 through the end of the chapter. I'm going to read it, we're going to pray, and then we'll talk about it. From there it says, he arose, that is Jesus, and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and wanted no one to know it, and he could, that he, uh, but he could not uh, uh, be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. And the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. We'll explain that. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. And then he said to her, For this saying, Go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on a bed. And again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis uh, to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. They begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears. He spat and touched his tongue. And then looking up to heaven, he sighed and he said to him, uh, Ephratah, and that is in the Aramaic language actually, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. And then he commanded them that they shouldn't tell, or they should tell no one. Uh, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And Lord, you do even so much more than that. We are so grateful, Lord, for your work in our life. Lord, for the transformation. Lord, for the power to change. Lord, to to live an entirely different life than than what we once lived. And Father, we come together today as your people. I thank you for all those that are here. And I pray that, Lord, as we begin this new year, Lord, I pray that whatever the last year was like, that this year would be a year of new beginning, would be a year of blessing, Lord, perhaps fresh guidance and direction, and even, Lord, power, maybe power, Lord, over the things that once maybe had a grip and a hold upon our lives. Because we thank you, Lord, you're the liberator, you're the emancipator. Lord, you're the great deliverer, and Lord, we call upon you today, and we thank you for the things that you're doing, Lord, and we uh, commit this time to you. Speak to our hearts now, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, last time, as we were in the beginning of this chapter, we saw Jesus speaking to the very religious people, uh, and he was basically exposing some of the traditions uh, that were basically keeping people from God, and those, that, those are the traditions, and sometimes, you know, you know, in religious circles, there's a lot of traditions uh, that kind of get built up. Even sometimes when we come to Christ, depending on our spiritual background, you know, we've had certain traditions and so forth. And, and not all traditions are bad. And, and oftentimes they're well-intended. But sometimes 
uh, like we saw in the early parts of this chapter, there were traditions that kept people at a distance from God. Uh, I grew up in that kind of environment where, uh, you know, I you know, went to uh, you know, um, Catholic school and, you know, went through all the different um, sacraments and all that sort of thing. But there was no heart at all from God, for, you know, for God. And, and uh, so many of those who, you know, were to be the religious leaders and so forth, uh, the, the, you just didn't really sense the love of God, you know, in their lives. There's just a lot of don'ts, don't do this and don't do that, you know, kind of thing. And there's so many things, I think, that, you know, that are out there uh, and are just sort of, you know, bandied about as, you know, Christian or biblical, whatever the case may be. Uh, but if they're really keeping us, you know, from the Lord, that's a very dangerous thing. So Jesus here is basically breaking, you know, those, those boundaries, those things that keep people just sort of hung up and at a distance, you know, from the Lord. And what's he's doing here in this particular situation? Last time we saw it was the religious leaders uh, in, you know, in Jerusalem and so forth. But now it's his disciples because no doubt they came into relationship with him, but they have their baggage. You know, all of us, in a sense, when we come to the Lord, we've got baggage, right? And, uh, and over the process of time, there's a work that goes on in our life. He's setting us free. Uh, he doesn't do it all at once. Yes, he, he gives us new life. He gives us a new nature. But there's practices and things that are just sort of part and parcel of the way we think and the way we act out. And he is working to free us and set us free, you know, from different behavioral patterns you know, different ways of thinking. That's why it's important. you got to get the Word of God into your life. The Word of God will renovate your thinking. It'll change your thinking. And I tell you what, when God changes us, He changes the entire direction of our life. You know, so often I've realized, you know, when I have uh, meet some old friends, uh, what my life, how radically different it would be without Jesus Christ. And uh, He wonderfully, and perhaps maybe whatever... You know, whatever this last decade was for you, we're moving, you're moving into a new decade here. Whatever last year was for you, God wants to do new things, fresh things. He wants to give us a new beginning. But it's imperative upon us that we need to trust him, amen? Uh, you know, we can, you know you can, we can hear and know, you know, what we're supposed to do, but if we don't ob- obey that and surrender to that, it will never take place in our lives. Remember this, you know, it says about the people of God in the Old Testament, they limited him through unbelief. We can limit Almighty God through just, you know, an attitude of unbelief. You know, when God speaks into our life and he wants us to do something, we think, well, you know, I can't really do that or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, we, we can limit what he wants to do because he asks us to do, in a sense, really impossible things. Things that go beyond, you know, our comfort zone. They go beyond our skill set. You know, be, they go beyond, you know, our, even the limitations. Sometimes we can be so limited by our own personality. You know, sometimes we, you know, we look at somebody and here's this really outgoing, you know, type of person and they're very vivacious and, you know, they're great, your communication skills are great and they're great, you're a great people person. And you may say, well, you know what, I, I, I just would, you know, I'd really like to be like that, but I can't be like that. And so sometimes we just settle for, you know, mediocrity. But I believe that God wants to change us. He's not going to change our basic personality. But it's amazing what he can do as he, in a sense, you know, he's always, I think he's always given us an upgrade. There's always some, you know, area of our life he wants to upgrade. He wants to, you know, he wants to better. 
Because when we, when we trust him and obey him, he does that. He uses us with people that maybe we would never, you know, uh, interact with. He uses us in so many different situations when, again, we're just simply by faith, you know, trusting him for what he wants to do. Now, I believe for Jesus coming into this new location, there was a couple different reasons. Now, remember, he, is, he has actually left Israel proper. He's in Gentile territory here in both of these particular stories here uh, at the end of chapter 7. And I think the first one is simply this. He's trying to get rest from the crowds. Remember, there was oftentimes a circus kind of mentality. That's why Jesus would oftentimes say to people when he healed them or he did a miracle, he said, now just be quiet. You know, don't, don't go telling everybody about this. Uh, maybe in some cases he said, I want you to go to the priest and, and witness to them about what I did for you. But for the most part, he's telling everybody to be quiet because he doesn't want this circus kind of mentality to take place around his ministry because many people came uh, because there was a bread line. Remember, he was providing you know, meals for people and you know, for thousands of people. And there was a lot of people too coming very simply you know, to witness a miracle. Well, we heard he's a miracle working you know, kind of guy, prophet, you know, type of thing. So we want to come and see and witness a miracle. And, and again, uh, we, we have to remember that, you know, miracles, you know, you can witness them, but they don't necessarily change your life. But when you believe the word of God, that's what changes. That's what transforms our life. Remember, G, uh, Paul said over in First Corinthians chapter 1, he said the Jewish people require a sign or a miracle. Uh, they were from basically a religious mindset. But he said the Greeks uh, require wisdom. Uh, that was the Greek, uh, you know, mentality of the day. They wanted some kind of wisdom, some kind of formula, you know, that kind of thing, you know, to implement in their life, and, you know, some kind of new thing, you know, that if, if I, you know, that's why you see all the, the self-help books, or, you know, people are looking for wisdom. Uh, a lot of people this time of year are making resolutions. Uh, have you ever made a resolution? Uh, I've made many of them, and I have failed as well. I can remember making resolutions before I came to Christ, and uh, they last maybe three weeks would be the furthest extension of my resolutions, and uh, then they would kind of fail. But, uh, and not that, not that resolutions are bad, but uh, I think, you know, in a sense, uh, you know, as we begin this year, hey, let's, let's resolve to what? Walk with Jesus. Let's resolve to follow him the best that we can. Uh, let's hopefully, you know, resolve to live for him maybe a little bit uh, more so than we did last year or even the year before that. So uh, the second reason is this, and I think it's intentional. Remember, everything that Jesus does, he didn't just all of a sudden, well, where are we? We're in Tyre and Sidon. We're in G G Gentile territory. No, he does it in an intentional kind of a way, and he's going in to Gentile territory because you know what? There's a desperate woman there, a desperate mother, whose daughter's a mess. It's like many families today, many different family situations. I don't know if she was a single mother, but that's, one of the, that's a phenomenon that we are seeing here, you know, in our, in our world today, so many different single parents. And so she's coming to Jesus, you know, in that way. And it kind of reminds me in a sense, remember the woman at the well? Uh, Jesus went into Gentile territory, so to speak. He went into what? Samaria. Uh, and it was intentional for him to do that because there was a woman there. And I always love how that chapter 4 opens up in John that it said he must needs go through Samaria because there was one person there. And I love that. You know, we were singing the song that he, he leaves the 99 and he goes 
to catch, you know, just to get that one, that one lamb, that one sheep. You see, that's the heart of our God. He's like a shepherd. If there's one, you know, if there's one sheep that's missing, and again, you know, the Lord knows those that are his. And so he knew that there was somebody there, you know, in that city, in that Gentile city that he wanted to bring unto himself and to reveal himself uh, to her. Now it says in verse 25 of our text that uh, for a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him and she came, she fell at his feet. You know, I think, would to God that every parent, you know, when their kids, you know, sometimes we, there are situations in the, in the lives of our kids that no doctor can fix. Uh, there's no educational little patch that we can put on it that we need to, we need to come to Jesus on their behalf. You know, when we talk about prayer, that's one of the things. There's a, there's a tremendous power to prayer. Uh, I, I've heard this from so many Christians. I experienced it myself. You know, when our kids go out the house, you know, in the morning to school, we, want to, we pray for them. Lord, watch over them. Protect them. You, you, you never know. You know, the Bible says you never know what trouble they may bring forth. Who know when they went to church, to that church in Texas last Sunday, that there was going to be some guy that showed up with a shotgun and started shooting people. Do you ever, do you ever think about that? If you, I mean, if you're in one of those situations, you know, what would you do? And that can happen. This was a church. And, uh, and, and you know, two people, two people, two, you know, two believers um, were, were, were murdered in that situation. That's the crazy world that we live in. I'll tell you what, we need, to be, we need to be on our knees. We need to be people of prayer. Because you never know when we're going to find ourselves in some very difficult situation and how God can give us wisdom. You know, how God can help us maybe to bring resolution, you know, into a difficult situation uh, that can arise. And so here, again, she's bringing her daughter. And again, this is an unfixable situation. And sometimes there are those kind of things. And, and again, as parents, the best thing that anybody can do, you know, as parents, you know, we do a lot for our kids. We, we want to make sure they're educated to the best. We want to make sure that they're dressed right, they're fed right. But the most important thing is coming to Jesus on their behalf. Praying for them. Praying for them long before they leave our house and... <laughs> Quite frankly, I think I pray now for more for my kids if they've left my house and they're raising their own families. But again, she does a very important thing here. Another thing this tells us too, you know what, Satan goes, the devil goes after kids. We have, we have a number of stories of demon-possessed children in the Gospels. And, and that, in a sense, mirrors true, you know, real life. What's going on in our culture? What's going on in our society? Praying for your neighbor kids? Do you have any little kids in your house? You praying? Are you praying for them? For your grandkids? I, I think it's important. If, if, if I think we should be praying. I think we should be praying for the grade schools, the middle schools, and the high schools. We, we do that in our men's prayer meeting. We, we pray just protection around them, even though... You know, the intelligentsia, the intellectual elite have driven basically God out of the classroom in any way they can. But we can still pray, amen? We can still pray for God's protection and, and for his intervention in those, situ those situations. 
And you might feel sorry for some of these kids today too. They, you know, they're, they're, they're confused about their gender. It's, like, it's almost like a new phenomenon, isn't it? it, it it's, kind of, it's kind of crazy. And you see sometimes five and six-year-old children that are just simply confused about, you know, who they are. And I think it's only when we truly, that's why we need to, even as our kids are young, we need to bring them to Christ. Because there, there's an identity, a new identity that we have when we come to Jesus Christ. And that we have worth. That, that we're u- unique in the sense that God loves us. And God came in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he died on the cross to redeem us and to bring us into this relationship with himself. And again, one of the things that, you know, that, uh, you know, that I think sometimes we, we overlook, I think a lot of times through children's ministries, like, you know, okay, we're just going to kind of kick, you know, uh, I think some that, that can happen in churches and that can happen with us in our Christian mentality, you know, that um, you know, the kids aren't all that important. We'll just kind of try to occupy them, you know, with uh, entertain them kind of a thing. But those kids, they need to know Christ. And that's one of the things that we put an emphasis on is, is, is those little kids, we want to lead them to the Lord. You know, we want to make a difference, you know, in their life. And, and, and uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, um, you know, just happened to me of, of late is, is our grandson, you know, getting saved, 10 years old. And, man, he got, he, his kid got radically saved. And, and, and. I told you a story, uh, for some of you that weren't here, I'll just sort of go over it quickly, but um, his father had, had broken his back. And uh, my wife was taking our son to the doctors, and uh, she went in to fill a prescription up, and the car's running, it's, it's August, it's hot. And um, there's a, the Christian radio's on. She comes out, and... and uh, my grandson says to, to, to Margie, and uh, her grandmotherly name is Muzzy, and he says to her, Muzzy, what does it mean to be born again? And he's serious. He's serious. And um, so she, on the way home, she's explaining to him what it is to be born again. So they get out of the car, and they're walking in the house, and, 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 and Margie says to, to little Aaron, Aaron, would you like to pray to receive Jesus, you know, into your heart and into your life? And he's a smart kid. He's really a brilliant kid. And he stops for a minute and he thinks about it. And he says, yes. So she's ready to launch into prayer, lead him in prayer. And he just takes off by himself and he launches into his own prayer. And it was a beautiful prayer. And, he's, and, and when he ended his prayer, he just burst out in tears. And it's like, all right, Lord, you did it. You did it. It was awesome. And, we, and I show up at his house the next week, and already he calls me in his bedroom. He says, Poppy, he says, look at all my Bibles. He's already got a collection of Bibles. <laughs> you only do that when you're really born again, okay? <laughs> and every time, and he'll remind us, you know, uh, any time at the dinner table, are we going to pray? Can I pray? It's like, yes, Lord, you did it. Hallelujah. And, 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 but, but again, God wants to work in kids and anybody. Anybody that will sincerely open up their hearts and their lives to him. Now, we get a spiritual pro- uh, profile here in verse 26. Uh, simply put, she's a pagan. She's Greek by culture. The Greek culture, basically, that was the world of that particular day. 
Um, that's why the New Testament is in Greek, uh, even though there were other local languages that people spoke. She was Syrophoenician. Uh, she was Syrian, also to Phoenician. Uh, but basically, she's a Gentile. Um, and we find here she keeps asking him to cast the demon uh, out of her daughter. What, what amazes me about this situation is um, she has, again, she's, she's got a pagan background. There's no spiritual instruction in her life. She doesn't even have any kind of education. And you know, most people in antiquity could not even read and write. And if you go, if you, go you know, about, about 100 years back in our own society, you'd be surprised how many people could not read and write. But if you go into the third world, it's amazing how many people. But in antiquity, the only people that got to read and write were rich people that had any, any level, you know, of, of education. And so we find this woman in this particular situation. But I think she does the most important thing that she can do is bringing her child's children's need to Jesus. That's the most important thing that anyone can do. And again here, this keep asking. It reminds me of intercessory prayer. You know, you know when Jesus teaches uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, and again, it's an ac- I always remember because of the acronym of it. It's, it's, it's A-S-K. It's ask, seek, knock. But in the original language, it has the connotation of keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. I think sometimes, too, that there's, there's a misunderstanding that if you ask for something in faith, that you should never ask again. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that when we pray, we need to ask. Remember the acronym, ASK. You need to ask and keep on asking, to seek and keep on seeking, and to knock and keep on knocking. And that's exactly what this woman is doing here. Now, there's a companion passage to this over in Matthew chapter 15. We get a, little, we get a few more details of this event uh, over in Matthew chapter 15. Because over there, we're told this, that he answered her not a word. It almost sounds like he's he's indifferent. I think sometimes people feel like that as well when when they're praying about something, deeply concerned about something. Why doesn't God answer my prayer? You know, where is God? I think people go through these kind of, you know, mental gymnastics all the time. Doesn't he love me? The Bible says he answers prayers. The Bible says he intervenes. You know, look at my situation. Look at my kid. I wonder how many parents are just so stressed today about maybe their teenager that may be wrestling and struggling with drugs or gender confusion or as many kids today dealing with the issue of suicide. I mean, it's crazy. Some of the things that are going on in the hearts and minds of kids, you know, out there in our culture, and they need help. They need Jesus. Even, even adults, we can't, we, we can't handle these things on our own. You know, we need God's intervention. We need God's help, and he's there really to help us. And again, the question is, you know, if he answers her not a word, you know, this is Jesus. Is he kind of harsh? Some might even accuse him of a racial bias because she's a Gentile. She might be, he, he might be accused of, the, of a gender bias because... As a matter of fact, there was a rabbinical prayer back then. Thank you, God, that you haven't made me a Gentile, and thank you that you haven't made me a woman. How would you like to be a woman in that culture, in that society? You talk about 
<laughs> repression. Never the case with Jesus. As a matter of fact, he's, he's always exposing that kind of stuff within the hearts and lives you know, of individuals. I want you to turn to Matthew 15. I want to, I want to fill a few blanks in for you as we look at uh, the account there. Matthew 15, verse 22 through 24, just a couple verses. Now, here's what she says to him that we don't have covered in the Mark account. She cries out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is severely demon-possessed. So when she says son of David, she's IDing him as what? The Jewish Messiah. And remember, Jesus came for the Jews first. Now, even remember after, after the... Um, you know, after the cross and into the, you know, the, the account of the book of Acts. Remember, remember Paul and, and the early Christians, they would go to synagogues. And there was a point in time where Paul said, when he was rejected by his Jewish brethren, that he basically said, you know, your, your, your blood be upon your own head, now I go to the Gentiles. He was giving them an opportunity that not, they were not in Israel proper. They may not have known what had taken place, but he wanted to present them with the fact that the Messiah had come and he had fulfilled the prophecies and so forth. But there are many people that, not, not all, but there are many people that would reject that. But as a Messiah, he came first and foremost for the Jewish people. Now, the fact of the matter is that was the order of God's program. We would have our time, and we've had our time, haven't we? For these last 2,000 years, the gospel man has been going around the world. You see, the Jews, you know, they basically had the truth in the scriptures in preparation for the Messiah for about 2,000 years. Right from the very beginning of Genesis, there was a witness in Genesis chapter 3, Messiah is coming. And when he finally came, after, after 2,000 years of preparation, that corporately, nationally, they rejected him. Not every Jew. As a matter of fact, the early church was nothing but Jewish. And that's how the gospel eventually was spread uh, around the world. But again, there was, there was oftentimes an attitude. Even Remember, even Peter, it's not till chapter 10 of Acts uh, when he realizes through a vision that the gospel has to go to the Gentiles. It was just sort of just a neat little religion, you know, kind of uh, for, you know, for the Jews in Jerusalem. And the Lord had to break through that and cut through that by giving him a vision. And that was the day that the messenger showed up and he went to Cornelius' house and he preached the gospel and the Holy Spirit went whoo upon the whole group. And, you know, they're, they're speaking in, in, in other languages and the Holy Spirit just wonderfully came upon him. But that's Peter the apostle. He even needed that kind of encouragement because why? There, there was such an attitude towards the Gentile world out there that even the early church did not realize the fact that he had, you know, as, you know, as Paul would say over in um, Romans chapter 3, is he the God of the Jews only? But no, he's also the God of the Gentiles you know, as well. So again here, she refers to him as the son of David. That's a messianic reference. And uh, verse 23, but he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. 
You can always count on the disciples, right? They're always going to be on the wrong track of things. But again, they're learners. They're, they're just like you and me. You know, we're always learning something, aren't we? Uh, just when we think we have it all together, uh, we discover that there's always something new and fresh to learn about the Lord and the ways of the Lord. And so, uh, verse 24, he says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But let me, let me tell you what, he's not saying no. He is not saying no here, but he's saying, you know what, this is my primary mission. Because he intentionally came there to work in her life. And then this second part of the story, where does he go? Decapolis, 10 Gentile cities. On the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee would be Jordan today. And they kind of go like this. If the Sea of Galilee is like this, they kind of start here at the lower part, and they work up like this, and they go all the way up to Damascus. Even the city of the Syrian city of Damascus was one of the Decapolis cities, and there were 10 of them. And Jesus goes there for a certain period of time because there's lost sheep there. But what he's saying to this woman, woman here, he's saying, my primary mission is first and foremost to my people. He wasn't saying no, because we see that being played out here in the story. Let's get back here to Mark 20, uh, uh, 7, 27. When he says, let the children be first, um, be filled first, uh, it is not good to take the children's bread. And he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the truth. And throw it to the little dogs. Now, again, when you, when you listen to that, it seemed like, wow, kind of putting her off. Kind of referring to her as a, as a little dog because, again, that was the Jewish mentality, you know, against the Gentile world. But the word that he uses here is interesting. It's a little puppy. It's a household pet. It's not some mad, angry dog, you know, that's in the street. And it's interesting that he puts it like that. But I think his words put a crack in the door. And she sees it. And, and that's the beauty to me of faith. You know, faith sees beyond, you know, the things that are just maybe obvious or external. There, there's, a, there's something wonderful about faith, and we know that faith is what? It's a gift of God. God imparts it. God gives it. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, I always loved, as a kid, feeding my dogs under the table. My parents didn't like it. And I used to have a boxer, and she'd come up, and she'd lay her head right on my lap under the table. And it really came in handy whenever my mother and father would eat liver. And uh, I hated liver. I hate it to this day. When I smell liver, my stomach does somersaults. And uh, <laughs> any liver eaters here? Anybody like liver here? Oh, God bless you. God bless you. But, but, but please don't invite me to your house when you're having liver, okay? <laughs> I, would, I would appreciate that greatly. But he, there's a little crack in the door by, by the word that he uses here. But even the crumbs fall from the children's table to the little puppies, the household pets. And what I love about her reaction, response to that, that, that in her humility, she's in agreement with him. She's not going to 
uh, take another, you know, take another track or whatever. She's basically in agreement with him. And I think it's also important, too, that, that we do not argue with God's assessment of our present situation. Because sometimes we can do that. God speaks some truth into our life and we wrestle with it. Or somebody, you know, sometimes, let me use the, the example of a, of a husband and a wife. And they're, they're having a heated argument. And she can't help but to unload and, and tell him the way he really is. She's been gracious, she's been holding back, but it comes out. And it comes out in a fury. And what happens sometimes in a situation like that is even though it's truth, because the way it was communicated, we reject it. And God may use somebody to speak into our lives, and maybe we just don't like the way they spoke it, or the, the, the tone, or their, their, their attitude, or whatever the case may be. But I think what we have to assess is, is the Lord really speaking to me? I, you know, I have discovered one, I have discovered this about people who would criticize me. Maybe some of their criticisms would be over the top, but I've discovered also too, some of their criticisms are right on. And God uses different ways to get the truth to us. To, take, to make an assessment of our situation. And what I love about this woman, in her humility, she does not disagree with him. She says basically, uh, verse 28, she says, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the crumbs of the children's crumbs. And you know what she's saying? And again, there's, there's something, to, there's a tenacity about faith of just trusting God. And here's what she's saying, Lord, you're absolutely right, but I'll take a crumb. I'll take that little crumb, whatever you have, let it fall my way. And I just love the faith that this woman has. And Jesus' response in verse 28 of Matthew 15 says this, you know, O woman, great is your faith. Be it unto you as you desire. Do you know Jesus said that only about two people in the Gospels? There was only two people that he said that about. And you know, what that, you, know, you know who they were? They were both Gentiles. One was a man, one was a woman. One was a, one was a, a, a Roman soldier. And the other one was this woman. Both Gentiles. And you know, as I was pondering that, I was thinking, I was thinking about something. That all they had, all they had was a faith that was based on one little shred of truth. They didn't have a whole Bible like you and me have. And they didn't have, it's interesting, they, these two people, Jesus said, great is your faith. He never said that about anybody in Israel. He never said that about Jews. And the Jews had what? They had the body of Scripture. And I think like them, there's a danger for us today. With all that we have available to us. And we can know chapter and verse. And we can have our own collection of Bible studies and commentaries, and it's amazing what you can get free online. But I think we have to be very careful that we don't become indifferent and lazy Christians. Because we have all this head knowledge. Are we living it out? 
I would estimate that this woman and, and both the, the, the Roman officer, because they did have a little taste of truth, that they were hungry. They were hungry. And I think there's a danger for us and for the church today. That we're not responding in an obedient kind of a faith-filled way to the things that we do know. Because we can have a whole lot of knowledge up here. But, but are we living it out? Are we really trusting him? And you know, as we begin this new year, I, I believe we have a wonderful opportunity because God is the God of new beginnings. He says, behold, I make all things new. And, and he wants us to trust him for those new things that he desires to do within your life and within my life. So I think there's a danger of us becoming like the people of Israel. We can have such a background of truth and God's blessing. And here are these two Gentiles outside the covenant. Their faith is just based on one little scrap, one little piece of truth, and they're hanging on to it tenaciously. And she says, Lord, I will take whatever crumb you have to give me. God honors it. He honors faith. I wonder, too, if, if she had, when she was initially ignored, if she, if she would just walk away. I think that might have happened for some people. Oh, you snubbed me. <laughs> Who does he think he is? I can remember, I can remember one time uh, talking about uh, uh, John 14, 6, I believe it is. That Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And I remember the response of, of, of a woman. Well, who does he think he is? God. <laughs> I think a lot of times people feel challenged by the truth. Like if you tell somebody who, who's, who's unchurched and never read the Bible that, that you're a sinner, what do you mean I'm a sinner? <sighs> We're all sinners. And when we recognize our true condition, man, he will come. He'll change us. He'll transform us. He'll fill us with his spirit. We have to recognize Another thing, too, here that, you know, if the ability to believe the degree of faith was resident with her, I, I'm convinced that he was challenging her faith. I think he does this for us, for, with us all the time. The Bible says that God does test the righteous, amen? And, and he just wants to check us out. Hey, 
they really, do they really believe that? Are they going to act on it? Are they going to live it? There are going to be opportunities that you and I, I have this year that God is going to drop something in our heart. He's going to lead us, direct us to do something. And I want to encourage you, obey that. Act on it. God will wonderfully encourage you. He will bless you. He will work in your life. He, he honors, he honors, he blesses obedience. We, we see that all the way. And again, remember this. God calls you and I to do things. He takes us out of our comfort zone. He asks us to do things that are beyond our skill set or our ability. And so be careful that you don't, oh, well, I'm not capable, you know, of that. I, I, I don't know how to talk to people about Jesus. That's just for the evangelists. That's just for, you know, for uh, the, the pastors, the full-time people. No, that's for all of us, amen? There are going to be opportunities. And when there are opportunities and we follow them out, there's going to be blessings with those things that, the God, that God calls us to do. And I can imagine, as you look at verse 29, I'm going to wrap this up here. <clears throat> The, uh, the smile or the great delight in Jesus when he said this to her. For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter, and when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Oh, God honors our prayers, our cries, and every last one of us, there are issues right now that are paramount. They're very important in our lives. And it doesn't matter how impossible they are. We serve the God of the impossible. We serve the God who says, if you will look to me and you will trust me, I'll work in that situation. It's not always according to our time schedule. But God is wonderfully faithful. I think in many respects, every one of us in this church have different stories. How God has wonderfully, miraculously, supernaturally intervened, you know, in our, in our particular situation. And he is the same what? Today, yesterday, and forever. So may God bless you in this new year. And may he use our lives in a very special way. Amen? Amen. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we are so thankful for your magnanimous grace. And Lord, we see your heart here. We see your heart. Lord, you walked from the nation that you came to minister to in a very special, unique way of laying down your life. Yet you walked out of the country to this woman's house, this woman's life. Because you saw, Lord, these were lost sheep. And Lord, we thank you you're always going the extra mile. And Lord, we represent you as well. Help us. Help us, we pray, to be your ambassadors. Help us, we pray, to make a difference. Lord, we are convinced that you have ministry for us as we move forward in this new year. And we need your hand upon us, Lord. Father, I pray for each and every one of us. Lord, as we open our hearts to you now, equip us, Lord. Fill us. Lord, do a work. Lord, take us beyond our own personal imposed 
limitations. And help us, Lord, to live for you and for your kingdom. And Lord, to observe the awesome things that you want to do in us and through us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.